Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Well, hello there. And today on Franchise U, I have with me Rob Weddle. And Rob is actually the CEO of Authority Brands. Now, what is Authority Brands? Well, we're going to get into that. It is a whole host of home services brands. But let me start with Rob. Rob started his franchising career 20 years ago when he became a franchisee of the Cleaning Authority, which is a professional cleaning service. He joined the franchisor in 2005 to be an ops rep to be out in the field working with other franchisees. Then he quickly rose to the ranks as vice president of operations, chief operating officer, and today he's the CEO. And that actually happened in 2014. Interestingly, Rob is still a multi-unit franchisee of the Cleaning Authority. But first, Rob, let me ask you to please expound a little bit on your background and tell us what led you to your current role. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. I really appreciate it. You know, it's been almost 20 years now that I've, I've gotten into franchising and, and really what drove me there is probably what drives a lot of people into franchising is really an opportunity to kind of control my own destiny, right? And build a business. And so at the time uh, we had just had my daughter. And so I was kind of traveling a lot doing consulting and primarily, you know, in Europe and, you know, all over the, the North America. And it's like, man, this is t- a tough life. And I really want to watch my, my child grow. So I actually went through a franchise brokerage called Franchise, which I know a lot of franchise owners today, you know, utilize franchise brokers. And they introduced me to the cleaning authority. And as I looked at the model, it just really fit, fit everything I wanted to do, fit my investment level. So, you know, we started our first location in 2002 in uh, Delaware, uh, where we were living at the time, still own that one today. And we had a lot of success. And as you pointed out, you know, I was invited into the corporate uh, office to become a business coach. And that kind of rose through the ranks of the cleaning authority. And then when they sold the business, in 2014 into private equity, I was, uh, you know, I guess the, the COO at the time, but the founders exited. And so I was, was moved into the CEO role. So it was a really exciting time for me. And boy, has Authority Brands grown. But first, let's talk about something that's so interesting to me is that franchising provides an opportunity in a lot of different ways. You can work for a franchisor, become a franchisee, work for a franchisee, work for a supplier supporting the industry. But you have two roles. You are still a franchisee and you're the CEO of the franchisor. So how do you keep those two separate? Well, um, I'm a pretty lazy franchisee at this point, Kathy. I hate to tell you, I've, uh, I've developed uh, you know, some, some really good management infrastructure, yes. uh, you know, family and some business partners that, that are running those businesses. So at this stage on the franchisee side, uh, you know, we've got, you know, weekly meetings and we, we talk about strategy, but I mean, you know, I'm not the day-to-day guy and I'm actually, you know, even working on process right now where I'm somewhat transitioning um, most of the businesses into the hands of the folks that are doing it, right? Giving them equity stakes and allowing them to continue to earn equity stakes because they're, they're doing the heavy lifting. And because they do that, it allows me to do what I'll call maybe my, my bigger job these days, right? Which is, is leading authority brands. And, you know, we're, we're approaching a $2 billion uh, run rate with, with revenue. So there's, there's 12 brands and a couple other business units. So there's a lot to do. Um, so, uh, but I still learn from my franchising side, right? And, and so keeping in touch with that is really important to me and continuing even to talk to franchisees on a weekly basis and, and understanding you know, what the challenges are, because that kind of shapes what we do, right? I mean, as we continue to evolve our systems, 
you know, we get our best ideas, right, from, from franchise owners. I mean, I, you came from Yum Brands, and I'm, I'm certain a lot of the product development over the years came from you know, franchisees probably playing around with, with various things. And, and I, I hear about that all the time. And, and in our systems, it's the same. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's really a, a good give and take, right? A strong franchise system, it's a partnership mm-hmm. of sorts where, where everybody's kind of working together with an end goal of success. And, and to achieve that really requires you to, you know, to listen and, and understand, you know, but at the same time, I mean, develop structure, right? I mean, protecting the brand assets, protecting, you know, understanding your market position. I mean, I think probably the worst thing a franchise can do is try to do too many different things and get away from their core competency. And, you know, we try to not do that. And so, you know, we've got interesting little models where we do, you know, one thing, but we do it really well, right? And we're the market leader. And I think that's a better path than if we were to say, hey, we do, you know, five different things and we're just kind of good at it. Yeah. Well, you touched on something that's actually a huge deal and you made it sound as though it wasn't. And that is many franchisees, well, well, not many, but the generous ones definitely provide equity for those who are working in their business. And and as I tell my students, gosh, working for a franchisee can be such a wonderful opportunity because there are occasions where they offer that equity and allow you to actually become a part of that business. And do you see a lot of that at Authority Brands with your franchisees? We're seeing more of it, right? I mean, wow. you know, all of our brands are minimum is like 15 years old is the, the youngest brand we have. We've got brands that are 30, 40 years old. And so we've got owners now, you know, they're, they're approaching, you know, upwards of 50 years old, 60 years old, they're looking at succession planning. And, and one of the things we we coach on is, you know, try to build your own buyer, right? And in a service environment, that can often be whoever your general manager is, right? And, and helping that person kind of take that next step. So, you know, giving them a path to ownership, you know, we really support because again, as you get at owners that become absentee, right, in a system, the person that's actually doing the day-to-day, really understanding the business, you know, giving them that path, it just motivates them even more. Right. And they're going to do even a better job for the current owner and then ultimately do a better job for themselves. Oh, I love that. Build your buyer. But then the other thing I have to mention is you put two words in a, together that I've never heard before, and that's lazy franchisee. I hardly would call you that <laughs> <laughs> or any others. It is definitely a hard business. Well, that was that was fascinating. Thank you um, for sharing all of that. So, you know, Authority Brands just keeps growing. And I think since you became the CEO in 2014 and the new private equity partner, it has just really been unbelievable. And you have 12 brands now, as you as you've mentioned. And I think you started with like America's swimming pool company. I've known you through a friend of mine who's a franchisee at Mosquito Squad and speaks highly of it. You have a lot of home services, home watch caregivers, Mr. Sparky, my favorite duty calls, which is uh, has to be a fun one. And you just yeah. acquired color world house painting. So can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy, authority brands philosophy about having so many brands? Yeah. I mean, what we're really trying to do is we really want the, the best in class in every uh, vertical that we enter. Um, so we're very deliberate. I mean, it, it does seem fast, but the reality is probably starting in 2015, we started investigating, you know, businesses that were, were out in, in the services market, right. And creating relationships you know, a number of these businesses, I knew the founders or the executive team over a number of years uh, so that when they were ready to make uh, a transition, you know, we, we were top of mind, right? And so that's really kind of the strategy. I think it's probably the one that most platforms uh, tend to use. I mean, and, and right now it's, it's a bit of a renaissance and, and I think franchising with the platform concept and 
interestingly, I think we're considered part of the old guard now, even though we're really only four and a half years old, wow. uh, which is, is amazing to me. Uh, so I think it just shows the strength of what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what separates us, um, again, that we're trying to be in um, sectors where our franchise owners can do something that I think is unique, and that is create very large scale models. Right. So I want our average owner to be able to generate in well in excess of a million dollars for their location, giving them financial stability, success, uh, allow them to make good decisions. And if everybody in our system is getting to that level, we're going to be number one in the space. Right. And, and right now, out of the 12 brands, six of our brands actually are number one in their space. Right. And we've got a couple of twos, a three, and we've got some up and comers. Right. And so, but everyone, I think over time has that capacity and, and that's really you know, how we're going about selecting where we go next. Well, I, kn- I know that you definitely are staying true to your core competency, home services, which has got to be a help as well. So do you take the same model? Like when you acquire a new brand, do you look at the model and the best practices that have worked and apply that to the new brand? Yeah, I think uh, probably the three big areas, right? We'll look at, look at operations. And, and one, the one thing we do there is, you know, very similar to my background. And we try to incorporate franchisees in the operational department, right? So I want to have my coaches be people that are almost player coach and understand what they're doing and they can help people scale. And that really becomes important when you're helping mature guys continue to scale, right? When, when you're get, looking at someone trying to achieve high level single digit growth when they're doing multi-million dollar, I mean, that's really impactful. Um, you know, secondary, I would say, is marketing. And something we do, I think, that's really unique is we put our marketing programs in place and we try to administer that in-house. Uh, and what that means is we're trying to make sure that, A, the money's getting spent and, B, it's getting spent effectively. So we're constantly trying to beat ourselves. So we have cost per lead today is, you know, X. I want it to be X minus tomorrow. So my team is tasked with continuing to generate, you know, higher volume of good quality leads. And then the third thing is, is how can we leverage technology, right? So all these businesses are very labor intensive, obviously, and, and we'll call them, you know, somewhat Amazon proof. We're not going to get necessarily replaced by, by digital technology, but you can use technology as an enabler to grow these large scale businesses. I mean, how do you manage thousands of, of customer transactions if you don't have good IT, right? And you don't have good data so that we can you know, help our franchisees understand where they've been and where they're going to go. So a lot of our IT now is devoted to building almost predictive models of if you keep doing X, this is going to be your result, right? Good or bad, right? And then if you can try to maybe change some of the dynamics there, you can achieve a different outcome. So uh, so there's probably like the three pillars that I'd say is something we really uh, rely on. Excellent. So with your structure, I know you have a COO of each brand, but do you centralize the marketing, for example, or is that all decentralized within the brands? We centralize the concepts uh, and we use a lot of the same vendors, but each brand is going to have specialists that are dedicated to those brand brands. Because I think when it comes to things like marketing and, and franchise development, you really want to have folks in those seats that really live and breathe the brand alongside the operational team and the franchise owners. So there are dedicated personnel, but again, they are probably employing very similar tactics using very similar, you know, you know, vendor relationships that, that allow us to, you know, be more, more effective across the board. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to tell you, there's nothing in my opinion, more important than these home services, because when you think you are a busy executive, you're doing all this important work and then suddenly your washer breaks like mine did over the weekend, your whole <laughs> world changes, your priorities become totally different. And many of the services you have are right on that list that a plumbing 
for example, an electrical issue. So it seems the demand is always there. So do you have any franchisees that own multiple brands? And if so, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we do. Um, right now, we've got a, almost 1,200 owners uh, in the system, and, and we've got about 10% of those own more than one of our brands. Now, about 80% of that concentration is in the trades. So you mentioned plumbing. So plumbing and HVAC play very well together. So we've got a lot of that. We've got folks that are tri-branded. They also have maybe a Mr. Sparky as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we've we started developing over the last couple of years, folks that are focusing in on like the outdoor brands. We've got a number of you know ASP and Mosquito Squad owners. Uh, we've got folks that are adding duty calls into their into their portfolio. And you know, I think what we've tried to do is we when we acquire a new brand, we do open it up to our existing franchisee base to let them know, hey, we can give you a great opportunity. Um, basically, get them in for you know very little cost uh, up front because you know we're not in it to make a franchise uh, you know fee up front. We want to see them grow their business, so I'd rather them reserve their capital. Um, so that they can, you know, spend it effectively on personnel, on marketing, you know, and on, on the on growing that business, right? And so we every time we get a new brand, we get a handful of folks that take us up on that opportunity, which I think is terrific. Um, and, and they're able to, you know, provide opportunities for you know folks in their family, uh, for themselves, um, and and it's really you know part of our, our overall strategy. And what I really like about it is I think it shows the faith that our owners have in what we're doing. Sure. Uh, because they realize they've had a great experience here in this brand and they're bringing this other brand in. And even if, you know, maybe it's not there today, you know, they have a lot of faith that our team is going to work hard to get it to that point mm -hmm. and help them achieve that same level of success in a completely different concept. And I've had that confirmed by one of your current franchisees, exactly what you said, who's investigating, is there another brand? Because his experience has been so positive. And, you know, yeah. you, you touched on something that is often a point of conflict in franchising. And you'll sometimes hear franchisees that may not have such a great relationship talk about they have competing priorities. The franchisor wants to build top line sales because that's where the royalties are paid, but they are more concerned about their cash flow. So what they actually take to the bank. But you've talked a little differently about that in that wanting your franchisees to be successful. Would you mind expounding a little bit on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it sounds simple, right? Yeah. But uh, the reality is if they're not successful, there's no way we're going to be successful. Exactly. So there is going to be that push and pull a little bit. And, and I, you know, I, I'm going to be uh, you know, lying to you if I told you that we didn't sometimes put stuff out there that's unpopular, right? I think every franchisor is going to maybe do that to some level, you know, maybe not generally, but there's going to find some folks that are you know, maybe comfortable and they don't want to be pushed any further. Um, but there, you know, there's at the end of the day, what we really try to show is, hey, you know, what we're making, maybe a change we're making, it could benefit you, you know, if you look at it in, in a different light, you know, it, you might look at it as more work, but oftentimes it is the owners that are more absentee that are kind of like, hey, this is, do I really want to engage again or really work harder because I, things are kind of fine, but there's a way to maybe show them or help them empower their management team, you know, to take these next steps because it, you know, it, it improved the top line, but generally it's going to improve the bottom line as well, right? Especially if there's no additional fixed cost. Mm -hmm. And that's the nice thing about services. A lot of times it all is variable cost. And so, you know, you can just, if you continue to increase that top line, the bottom line will grow. Um, so it, sometimes it's just a matter of really trying to explain that, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we, I always say if we have to go to the agreement on something, that's never good. Um, so it's better to try to, you know, kind of work out a situation where, where everybody's kind of coming along and working well together and back to that structure where we incorporate our franchise owners in the process, you know, between 
people on staff and in our franchise advisory councils, our franchise leadership teams across the brands, you know, we don't just roll this out uh, without anybody, you know, talking about it and testing it, right? And so they're involved, they know what's happening. And in addition to that, in, in 10 of our brands, we actually own corporate locations. So we test everything out too. So, I mean, we're just not going to roll out a new program and say, hey, go give it a shot, see what happens. Um, we want to make sure that it makes money. So we're going to test it in our locations. If it works really well, then we roll it out in a pilot. And if it works really well from there, then we, we put it out in mass. Um, and, and certainly we've had things that didn't work, right? Things that get, 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 get cut on the, uh, you know, the, the cutting room floor, floor right out of the gate. Uh, and other things that don't make it past the pilot. But at the same time, I think for not innovating and we're not continuing to look at, at what is happening, right, in, in particularly consumer engagement. I mean, I think that's what's the really interesting thing. You talked about your washer broke down. Now, if 20 years ago, you would have got out your yellow pages, you would have looked up machine repair and you would have yeah. you know, had somebody come out. Well, my guess is today you went to your phone and, and you Googled something and, yes. and whoever came up near the top and it was easy to do business with was probably who you used. And so that's one thing that we think is germane to, to our businesses is we need to be easy to do business with. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what the consumers are demanding across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 10 years ago, everybody said, oh, it's just the millennials and the younger people that operate like that. I'm like, no, I mean, yeah. everybody from, from 25 do. to 75, right? Yes. They're, they're doing it. And, and, and that's really, you know, I think that's going to be the, the winners in the service space. Uh, I think in all spaces, they look at you come from young brands. Um, I, I know, uh, you know, my daughter loves the Taco Bell app. I mean, yeah. it's crazy, right? I mean, who would have thought that's how we're going to order our food? Um, and, and that's what happens today. That's, that's true. Technology is taking over, but technology can't take over everything. I have to stop for a moment and talk about your brand that just fascinates me, Duty Calls. So um, first of all, the name, how great is that? Why don't you just talk a little bit about that brand just because it's fun and different? Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a great brand. And, you know, Jacob and his wife uh, developed the brand you know, nearly 20 years ago, right out of college. So, uh, you know, it's something he saw as he wanted to be his own boss and, and, and build something up that people were going to need. And it took a little while to catch on, but um, it's very successful. And it's one of those things where I think once people understand what's available to them, you never give it up. I mean, it's it's actually cheaper than the cost of a cup of coffee every day at, at Starbucks. Oh, right? wow. if, you, if you do the service, I'm, I'm personally a customer. Uh, I've got two, two small dogs and, and they make a mess in the yard and, and we're a weekly customer. And once it's maybe, you know, $25 to $26 a week you know, to have this type of thing done. And and the retention on the customers is extraordinarily high. I mean, once people have this done, it's, you're like, well, I'm not doing that again. Right. And so it's a nice business, you know, to be in and we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, You know, it's, but again, I think awareness is the big thing. So I'm glad you let me talk about it because hopefully the whole world understands there are companies out there, particularly duty calls that would love to come in and clean up your yard for you. And you're not going to have to do it. You're not going to have to rely on your, your teenage son or daughter who is, maybe occasionally successful doing it. Exactly. Um, you know, this is a professional team. My neighbor said to me, you might want to hire one of those services that will clean up your yard. We have a big basset hound. And said, you may want to hire one of those services. And I thought that that's probably a good idea. So um, yeah. yeah, it is something you don't think about, but they also offer services to parks um, as yep. well. So like cleanup areas, that kind of thing. So I found that interesting. Yeah, no, it's great. We do. We do sell pet waste stations, the bags. And so we work with communities and parks. And I'm going to tell you kind of a funny story about that brand. When we were acquiring it, uh, it was around the same time that we were doing our securitization 
last year. And so we're talking with a lot of bankers and most bankers, of course, are in major cities. And so we we had a banker on the phone that just didn't understand the service. He said, (laughs) well, where I live, he's like, people walk around with bags and they pick it up immediately. So how can this be successful? And I'm like, well, if you live in the suburbs and you have a yard, trust me, you are not following that dog around, right? And so no, it was even not. just explaining that the concept was, was kind of unique. So it just didn't occur to me that if you never, I mean, I didn't grow up in a city. So, uh, I mean, I always have had to deal with this issue. It's a great example. Um, many of my students, of course, who are unfamiliar with franchising, think that it's just quick service restaurants. And so it's sure. a very fun example to talk about. And then this home services area has just really been so successful with franchising. So um, I think that it's been impressive what what you've done. And let me move a little bit to the support model. And so when I was looking at your website, it was so impressive to me that you, in your mission, you state that you want to improve the quality of life for three groups, but the first group you mentioned are franchisees. Why is that? Well, I mean, especially in home service, I mean, back to your point about people thinking it's only quick service restaurant. I mean, you know, the cost of entry to get into a restaurant and facility franchising is pretty high. Uh, The cost of entry into services is is significantly lower, right? I mean, the average investment is going to be between maybe, you know, $150,000 and $350,000 in general. Many people can afford that. Uh, And many people, though, are using 401k money line of credit on their home, you know, potentially money that they were had earmarked that would eventually be for their kids' education. So I think it's really important, right, that we take that seriously because they're investing. It's not institutional cash, right? This is personal money. I mean, I take that very seriously. I did it myself. Uh, and I understand the feeling and how that, 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 that makes people feel and the risk that they're taking. So we want to make sure that we're doing the best we can uh, to give those people the best opportunity to succeed. Because they're all there for the same reason, right? They they want to be there in, in in five years or ten years, and having that that successful operation that's generating you know a nice income for their family, a nice quality of life, um, you know, self uh, fulfillment, uh, everything that that goes along with it. So yeah, and again, back to you know, they need to be successful, right, for the franchising model to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if the bulk of your franchisees are failing, your franchise model is going to collapse. Um, and and you know, I'm really proud that you know that. It's not what happens at any of our brands. So, uh, you know, so we're, we're definitely focused on that. Thank you. So can you describe the structure of support that you provide to your franchisees? Yeah, I think it starts from really the, the day somebody signs an agreement, right? We always say you know, at that point, you're, you're, you're part of our part of the team. And at that point, we want to help you, you know, whether it's, you know, site selection for where you're going to open your office, helping you get your recruiting ads in place, um, you know, preparing you to come to training. Right. And then really we call it the launch process. And so that's going to vary anywhere from, you know, maybe 30 days up to 90 days until you come to training. Uh, and then from there, you know, getting your, your business out of the gate and helping you build that model to get you to you know, break even. You know, I, I always call it playing with the house money. Right. As soon as you get to break even and you're, and you're actually using the customer's money to continue to facilitate your growth, that's a good day. Uh, because you're not pulling any more money out of your savings, you, you know, you're, you're able to be self-sustaining. And so it's, I think it's really important to get to that point as quickly as possible. And so we really focus a lot of the support there. Um, and then from there, once somebody kind of hits that first year, you know, they're starting to make a little bit of money, they're learning things, they may be moved into like a different support structure because the needs, the needs change. You know, at that point, when they first start out, they don't know what they don't know. Uh, now that they, they know enough to be dangerous, right? There's a different level of support. And then from there, right, moving into the levels of maturity. And that's why I think this model where we incorporate bringing in successful franchisees to help 
is really important. I mean, if, if you're a, a franchisee in your fourth year and you're working with a, a business consultant who's been doing it for 15 years and understands right what you're feeling right now and, and what you need to do, I think it just gives it a lot more credibility um, and, and we get a lot more traction. And it's always nice to be able to have a mature franchisee saying, man, I learned something new and I'm continuing to grow and evolve my business. Mm -hmm. That's true. No denying that. So the franchise model really proved itself to be very successful during the pandemic. What did authority brands do to support your franchisees during this time? Wow. Seems like a forever ago question, but yeah, it's really, we're coming up on the two year anniversary, I believe, of the the cliff. Um, You know, I'll tell you the the first thing we did when, when things started to shut down is we had an internal meeting and you know, I said that, you know, nobody's going to close. Like that's going to be our first objective. We are, our franchisees are not going to fail because of this. And so we immediately looked through the systems we had and saw it was there things we could do immediately to kind of, you know, alleviate some folks with, with, you know, some financial responsibilities. We were able to do that. Uh, we started doing a daily um, announcement about everything going on. Right. You know, and a lot of that started around, you know, PPP loans. I think at the end of the day, it was nearly 70% of our owners ended up getting those. And, and again, it was perfect for our types of businesses because they were able to use it for payroll, which was the exact purpose. Um, so they were able to use it successfully, sustain their businesses. Most of our services were deemed to be essential under the, the government regulation, which was helpful as well. And then we we also, we had an interesting thing is when we acquired our trade businesses, that also came with a purchasing group called Bimax. And so Bimax at the time had only really worked with trades. And we had an intention of rolling out this the, the purchasing program across the other brands. But we were, it was early days. COVID really pushed that because they became the primary procurer of PPE uh, for all of the brands. So they were able to get gloves, booties, masks, things that people were like, we can't get. Our folks were finding them, which was great because then our franchisees had access and it allowed them to you know, go out in the market and continue to grow and expand where maybe some of their, their local competition was struggling right in that area. So it was a you know, really nice benefit that, that we had to offer. Oh, that's, that's terrific. You're right. That is one thing that was very difficult at the onset of the pandemic was finding that equipment and having your franchisor help you with that was definitely a benefit. So you mentioned funding and that interested me in that many of your franchisees have found personal funds, whether that's, you said, through family, leveraging their home collateral. Is that the primary way most of your franchisees enter the business? Yeah, these days, right, it is through, you know, through loans and the 401k rollover seem yeah. to be the most popular. Um, it kind of goes in spurts. I mean, again, I've been, been doing this for 20 years and, you know, myself and a number of my cohort that came in in the early 2000s, I think most of us use internet money. Like we made some money in the stock market back in the boom gotcha. and we had a little extra cash, right? And we were able to do that. And, and then I saw a whole group of people in the mid 2000s come in and they were using house money, uh, you know, in 2007 and eight, right? And then there was the crash. And I'd say over the last 10 or 15 years, the, the 401k seems to have been, been a big piece of it. Um, and, you know, the SBA has kind of loosened up a little bit. And part of it there is getting them to understand services because, you know, of course, lenders like assets and in, in services often, there's not a lot of fixed asset but trying to just educate them on the model and us creating a good track record as a franchisor, um, you know, is kind of helping with, with that process to, to get people in, in the door. I think that that component, having that great reputation as a franchisor, knowing that the business is stable is a big part 
of acquiring capital. So absolutely. That's important. And that one's on you. Well, gosh, yeah. you've told us so much, um, Robin, I'm, it's so impressive to look at the growth under your leadership. What is the one thing that you personally are most proud of? It's really uh, seeing our franchise owners succeed, right? I mean, when you, we have somebody that, that comes up to you and, and, and tells you that, you know, their life has changed dramatically uh, because of, of the success they've had in their business. And you know that you were able to play a role in that. You know, I think that's really fulfilling. And then internally, it's as we've grown our team. I mean, when, when we started Authority Brands, we had about 130 corporate employees and we're over 1,200 today. Wow. And in, amongst my executive team, I mean, giving people opportunities there that, that maybe they never were able to have before. Franchising still is a relatively infantile industry, uh, particularly in the service side, um, you know, maybe, maybe 30 years old, right? Since it's really been, you know, the early 90s, maybe the, fir- the first couple. So there's still a lot of opportunity. And, and so it's just really great to be able to, to be a part of that and continue to, to see the evolution. So that's, that's kind of what gets me excited is to see other people fulfilling their, their dreams and, and being successful, maybe beyond their, their imaginations. It is definitely a way to create and sustain generational wealth. And so it's been a, a proven model and you are helping many people find their dreams. So you've given us a lot to think about. Um, the services industry is a wonderful place to franchise. As you said, the cost of entry is lower than a brick and mortar type of franchise. And um, people need it. I, I'll tell you, your priorities shift when something breaks in your home for sure. So um, one last question for you that I ask everyone, what is the one thing you wish you had known when you first entered franchising 20 years ago, 20 years ago? Well, 20 years ago, um, I think just even that, you know, how powerful it can be as a model. I mean, interestingly, I had I'd gone to you know business school in the late nineties. And I remember there was like one page on franchising yeah. in, in like a book. And that was it, right? So it really didn't hit the radar back then. Uh, And then even when I started, when I got my business plan together and decided I want to do the cleaning authority, I actually um, went to, because I was a younger guy and and first business, I was insecure about how this would work out. And so I thought, well, who would know better? And so you may have heard um, the organization SCORE, the retired executives, right? And so I'm like, hey, there was a local chapter and I was like, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go talk to some, some folks that have built businesses and literally somebody there told me, don't do it. They said, it is so, you're doing cleaning business. It's so easy. You can do this on your own. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. But but I feel like the model stuff they're showing me, right? The structure of, of how, to, how to market appropriately, how to, you know, how to, the IT that they had uh, to help me scale. Because I mean, I didn't want to clean 50 houses. I wanted to clean 500, you know, and, and maybe a thousand right customers and, you know, which, which we've achieved. And so it was just interesting that I, I think people just didn't understand it. And that's why what you're doing is, is really, you know, so enticing to me and, and why I wanted to, you know, do this and, and to work with your group is the educational process and explaining to people, you know, what this can mean for you. Because I know what it's done for myself and my family. I know what it's done for a lot of my friends and peers. I mean, I'm, I'm great friends with a lot of the franchise owners in our systems. Um, and, and to see that sort of thing and, and be able to spread that gospel of, hey, this is where you should be looking, right? And, and you know, even to the point now, we are going back to, to colleges and, and trying to help understand about it. And, and it's great to see, I see Tennessee is doing this now, Louisville's doing it, Howard University. And you know, that's really the future. I mean, I'd like to say 50 years from now, almost every university is gonna have something to really help people understand you know, how it can be powerful and how it can really you know, provide a career opportunity that, that really is maybe almost under the radar uh, even today.
you know, Rob, I didn't pay you to say that, but boy, I could have, because I do <laughs> think I do think that is what's missing is that this education of what it can do for you. And I know my students, um, particularly at the undergraduate level, are just blown away at the possibilities for themselves. And thank you for serving as a board member on the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence. You have a lot to offer. And thank you for this podcast. It has been enlightening and fascinating. Appreciate you. Thanks, Kathy. I enjoyed it. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.